ברוכים הבאים בשם השם, ברכנוכם מבייס השם. Welcome to the weekly Wednesday night cheer. Schus, for Shlema, for Eliza Shlama's Bracha, Bas Rachel Hinde. Shevra for Shlema Kreva, a full and speedy recovery. Miraculous recovery is what she needs now. The situation, unfortunately, is deteriorating. But we all believe that Hashem is all mighty and merciful. And it's a mother of four kindalach, and Hashem will definitely send the four shleim Um Unfortunately, there's been many incidents in the past week. We're not going to discuss that. It's Chedesh Adar. Chedesh Adar, Ibdras Hashem Besimcha. We need to be happy. We need to be joyous. Simcha parents gather. Happiness breaks all boundaries. And so too, happiness will do the same this year. May the happiness of Chedesh Adar permeate penetrate, envelop all that is going on, elevate it, so that we may merit to hear and to see the ultimate simcha, the simcha amitnes vashlema, which is, of course, the simcha of the geula, of this Galus, the revelation of Melech HaMashiach, tonight. Baruch Hashem, my family this week, and this, those who listen in archives will know that in this week of other, I have two children's birthdays, Zayn Stark, on Yedches and on Chof, both the boy and the girl, Shavarichas Yom Vishonim, Langi Gesundte Freilich Yarn, the Almighty should bless them with Yiddish Chesidish Nachas from their, chil- their children, Mirz Hashem. Panos Bachova. Bakel Mikilkel. Everything that one could possibly wish for. This Shabbos, we will be only taking out two Sifritera. <laughs> Only two, Rabbi. Come on. We usually take out one. Correct, but next Shabbos, Shem will be taking out three. And Rabbi Alina, the table will discuss that next week. This Shabbos is two Sifri as we have the Pashas HaShavua. <laughs> Those who are worried that we're taking out one for Vayaka, one for Bakudei, it's not the case. Vayaka and Bakudei are together. Today is, of course, Wednesday, as we know. Those who do chitas, and I'm sure everyone does, the chumish, the tilim, and the tanya, the shiurim that are prescribed. The daily chitas today is the bridge 
that comes between, that joins Vayakil and Pekudei together. So today we read, in essence, the beginning of the Chita starts in Vayakil and the end in Pekudei. Pekudei, as we might remember, know that it is Chazak, is the last parasha of the set of the Chumash of Shemais. So we have this Shabbos, Shabbos Chazak, that again does not merit a second Sefer Teda, but the second Sefer Teda is for Parshas Poro, Zeis Chukas Hateda, this is the Para Aduma, and the greatness of the Paraduma, we have discussed it many times, many times at great length. The great sacrifice, the great Avas Yisrael that the Kayan has with Paraduma. And we will. Ibiyat today as well say a few words about Paraduma. But again, another big milestone this Shabbos is Shabbos Mavarchim, the Shkedish Nisan, Nisan Nigalu, Nisan Asidin Ligoyal. As you know, that Nisan we were revealed, we were redeemed, and so too, Miyatsa Hashem, we anticipate that Nisan will bring that same redemption to us as well. And this Shabbos is a Shabbos Mavarchim. Shabbos that we bless the Chedish of Nisan. And in Yetz Hashem, next Shabbos is Shabbos is Chedish Nisan. And Chedish is only one day. Vayakil and Pekudei are joined together, making it quite a long Pasha. Although, Pekudei in his own right is not very long. It's long enough. It's 92 psukim. And we know the famous mistake, shall we say, that the Rebbe found in the Chumashim. There were many, many prints of Chumashim, the Chumash, Shemais, for generations on. Every Pasha has the end of the Pasha the amount of psukim, and we spoke about Pashas Mikait, how many words there are in the Pasha. But after it says how many psukim there are in the Pasha, it says a simon, it says in a, an acronym, a hint, not an acronym, I'm sorry, a gematria of a word, or two words, or three words, that signify this psukim in this pasha. The simon for pasha's pikudei is belikol simon. Belikol beiz lamid yud is 42. Kol is 50, which is 92. There are 92 psukim in pasha's pikudei. Therefore, Beli Kol is the simon for the Pasha. 
But Balikal translates also to the words without. Without any. So apparently, says the Rebbe, somebody, a not very learned person, was printing the Chumashim, and when he was typesetting the Chumash, and he looked at this parsha, it said, Balikal Simon, he figured, oh, there is no Simon here. So Balikal, it doesn't have a Simon. So he left out the Simon. He omitted any kind of Simon. And for generations, the Chumashim were printed without any simen there, until the Rebbe pointed out that the simen for Baj Bakudai is Bali Kol. It's not, it's not something that we should translate to say that there is no simen, but rather that is the actual simen. Not Tchilasan B'Seifam, B'Seifam B'Tchilasan. I think I need to correct something, by the way, if I'm not... I didn't listen to the archives to see. But somehow I have a recollection in my mind that when I enumerated the parshias of the Dalit parshas, I said it was Shkolem and Zacher, which are not connected. Shkolem is Shabbos of Archim or Chedish other, and Zacher was the Shabbos before Purim. And then Chedish and Para are connected, and I believe I said that Chedish always before Para which is, of course, incorrect. It's Paras before Chedesh. So the Shabbos before Chedesh, whenever that is, is Pasha's Para. There's, of course, the famous story of the Al-Tarebbe leaning. This is a story that Rabbi Leibu Grona has confirmed. al Rebbe was leaning, he used to be the Bakari in the shul, he was leaning past Pekudei, and he came to the 8th Pasuk. al Rebbe read the word differently than it is written. So the Pasuk says, Esa'elef, it's a, it's a Azlagerish, Esa'elef, Ushva'a me'ez v'chamisha v'shivim. What happens then? Instead, the Al-Tarebbe read which is of course this year person corrected the Al-Tarebbe, the Al-Tarebbe said, ah, okay. And he said the Pasuk over. Instead of saying, V'ez ha'elef, Shvamez, Chemisha V'shivim, it's, hey, elef, Shvamez, Shvahamez, he read it to Chemisha V'shivim. Again the person corrected him, again the Al-Tarebbe said, ah. Again he said the same way. And the fourth time being corrected this way, the Alter Rebbe said, What do you want from me? I see it as it's written in Shem- and said in Shemayim. And there is, and there it says, has Hey Aleph, that in the year 5775, which of course, as we know, is this year, Mashiach will come. So 
So children, friends, prepare. Because this is the year, as Al-Tarebbe said, in the 5,775th year. Meshe Rabbeinu, Yitzchot Zarhech 2. Doesn't have to be capital now. So no capital. Doesn't have to be. It can be. Could be probably. Meshir Abenu takes the moment now and lists off Pashas Vayakil and Pekudei. Yaakov and Pekudei were already heard. Everything that it says in Vayakov and Pekudei we know already. Truma and Tetzave enumerated, enumerated everything that's written in Vayakov and Pekudei. There's one difference. One slight difference between Vayakil and Pekudei. And Truma Tetzave. And that is the word Vayas. And it was done. It was completed. Up until this moment... Up until this moment, we had the instructions. We heard what needed to be done, what needed to be built, what needed to be constructed, and how it needed to be done. Pashas Vayakil and Pekude add that one more word. The task that had been Salil, Ben Uri Ben Chur, the Yehuda, brings to fruition the ultimate construction. But within this construction, within this development, we find many interesting actions that took place. Let us begin towards the end of the parsha of Pekudei. Perik Lametes, Posik Mem Gimel, chapter 39, verse 43. It was done. As Hashem commanded, it was done. And the Almighty blessed Moshe. Rashi explains, as he does always, Vayivarech Eisem Moshe. Moshe blessed them, 
Omar lahem. Meisha said to them, Yehiratzayin. May it be a will of the Almighty Shatishashkina Bemaitsa Yedechem that the Almighty should rest in the work of your hands. And this is one that says Rashi Wechad Mir Alev Mizmedim Shabbatfila the Mesha. This is one of the eleven chapters of the Tvila of Moshe, Moshe's prayers, that David Melech brings down. Rashi is explaining something here. If Rashi writes it, and he has to, and he's writing what happened here, then obviously he has a question. What? Rashi's question. What does Rashi have to explain to us what Moshe said? The Jews completed everything according to the commandment of God. As it says, Asu Esa Kasha Tiva Shem Kenasu. They did it exactly like God commanded, so they did it. And for that, they were blessed. We understand, of course, that this blessing was thank you. It was God's way of saying, thank you Jews for doing what you did. What are you doing? But the way the Pesach, and another thing, the way the Pesach is expressed, by Yivorech is it doesn't say that he thanked them, but he blessed them. We know, of course, that Moshe spoke, spoke to the Eden in a form of a blessing. Rashi is now taking it out of context and explaining that Moshe said a prayer. It was a blessing. Why does he write it? Why does he elaborate it in the form of a prayer rather than a blessing? Another thing, Rashi begins his explanation. He says, Omar Lahem. We don't need to know that. We know We know that he spoke to them. Obviously he spoke to them. Moshe's blessing over here comes in a continuation of the story that's going on, of all that's happening here. The work in the Mishkan, the vessels, all that was done through Betzal, Ben-Uri, Ben-Chur. Beautiful. So we know and we hear Mesh's elaboration. And he enumerates each thing that they did. And it signs off. As we find in chapter Lamed Tes, 
Pasuk Lamed Beis, 39, verse 32. And this is, of course, a Pasuk. What happened? My sound went back on. Okay. This is, of course, a Pasuk, which is prior to the Pasuk that we're talking about. That the Jews already finished everything that was done. They brought the Mishkan to Mesha. Just like everything that God commanded Mesha. Then our Pasuk comes and says, but they already brought everything to him. So now the Pasuk is elaborating and telling us that Mesha saw the actual work done. The artsmanship. The craftsmanship. And blessed them. The Chayda, the blessing, should have been put to the Chachmelev, to those people, to the architects that got this together. And they worked so hard. They finished their work in great success. And they, should, they got a special bracha from Mesha. Another question comes about. The Chachmelev, these architects, these bright, these brilliant people, that completed the Mishkan were only a handful of people. Yet before this, it tells us about the, de- the donations that everyone gave. Everyone gave, men, women. And it was brought to the Mishkan. They were given open-handed, so much so, that Moshe had to call out, Don't do any more work to the to bring donations. And at that point, why you call it Amehavi? Back in Vayakil, on chapter 36, Pasuk Vav, it says, and the people stopped ringing. In that case, why is Mesha blessing them? The Chachmelei, these special people, that were chosen out of the nation. And they did, they were involved in the actual making of the Mishkan and its vessels, and he doesn't bless the entire nation itself. Why only the Chachmelev are being blessed? It should be called Ish not the Libam. Like Hashem commanded Moshe. But the truth is, we see here that Moshe needed to make the, give the blessing. Not only to the Chachmelev, but to the entire generation the entire nation. In the Pasuk prior it says, Kechel HaShetziv HaShem as Meisha Kein Asu B'nei Yisrael is called Like the Almighty commanded Meisha, so did the entire nation all this Aveda. That means to say everyone did, not just the Chachmelev. So to explain when the Pasuk says before in the beginning of this whole thing, that it was completed, 
And the Jews, the entire nation, did what Moshe commanded. Rashi explains there, Vayasu b'nei Yisrael, as ha-malacha, k'chal Hashem. But as we take a quick glance here, something's missing. What's Rashi trying to hint? What is he adding here to this explanation? Rashi says there's a connection between the entire nation, to the Mishkan. Because the Chayda, what was done here, the Mishkan, was only done through the Chachem Leiv. But yet, Rashi, the Pasik says that the whole Malacha, the entire work, was done by the entire nation. What was the work that was done by the entire nation? Bringing the donations. So therefore, it now comes out clear to understand and to say, when it says, Meisha, bless them. What his intention here is, it is intention to everyone that was involved with this work. Mm -hmm. The people, the architects that did the work, the physical work, Mm -hmm. It's every man, every woman that had the work of bringing the Davos HaMishkan. But still, why did Moshe wait till now? After the Chach finished, completed the entire work, he gives the Bracha. Why didn't he bench them when he said, stop bringing? Which was the end of their work. The work, they did also work. What was their work? Their work was bringing the donation. The Chachmelev were actual contractors and architects that built everything. But everyone did their job. Everyone had their position. So the position of the people that had to bring the, whatever they had to bring, they did theirs. When they completed theirs, they should have been given a bracha. It took almost a half a year till everything was finished from when the donations were brought. We could perhaps explain Moshe does bless the Jews as soon as they bring all the Nidavas. And didn't wait this half a year to say Ashakayach. But the Pasuk doesn't say it. It's understood. When Moshe said, stop bringing, he didn't say, enough, you're floating, you're overflowing the, the, the coffers here. He said, ah, give bench to the design, my kinder. you should be blessed, you brought everything we need. Now stop bringing, we don't need anymore. So it's self-understood, it's self-explanatory that Moshe must have benched them at that point. Or just the mere fact, knowing that Moshe was happy with what they did was enough for them. Many a times you don't need the actual thank you from the person. We have we derive satisfaction by the fact that we know that we made this person happy. We know that what we did for this person was good. And that in itself is a thank you. That in itself is good enough to be considered as a thank you. We don't need to actually express the words. 
When that is the case, then why do they have to say it now? That's the case that they had the actual pleasure of knowing that Mesha was happy. That was good enough to be considered a blessing. That was good enough to be saying thank you. Then why now? Why does he bless them now? That's why Rashi says the Chiddush. Not of the bracha itself, not the fact that it was a blessing, but that it was a special blessing. Mesha specially wanted that this connection finishing the Mishkan. And therefore reiterated and reciprocated Midah connected Midah. B'nai Yisrael did the made the Mishkan so that the Avishta could be Veshachanti B'Seichem rest amongst them. So now Mesha said, The blessing was that you did this so the Almighty should rest his Shkhinah here. May it work. May it be the will of the Almighty that it should work and the Abishah should take a rest of Shkhinah here. That's why Rashi starts off. Omalahem, he said to them. Because it wasn't just a regular bracha. It was a Yashikayach. And therefore he says to them, especially, he doesn't bless them with saying this, he says to them that your work should be done. We give a blessing many times, Your heart should, the Almighty should fulfill all the requests of your heart to good and for blessing. You want to bless them? I bless them with a, with riches, with this, with that. No, we bless a person. He should be satisfied that he should get everything that he wants and everything that he needs. And over here as well, Meisha says to them, Amalami says to them, just like your mission, your goal was to see to it the Almighty should rest here. May it be that it should come into fruition. May that be what should happen. What? <sighs> Amongst the different jobs, the different donations, we find a very, very intriguing donation. Pasik tells us of Hanashim Ashinasa Liban, a son of Bechachma, Tavo Esaizim. All the women whose hearts uplifted them, this wis- with wisdom, spun the goat hair. Akuns, Ageshaft, to spin goat hair. What's the big thing? Person that does, that spins goat hair. Oh, they're supposed to pay for that, I think, $30. Did? <laughs> okay. <laughs> the Jews are told to bring 
Whoa. They weren't told to process the goat here. If they would have sheared the goats and brought the Simcha, your phone is asking questions. No. But the fact is that the women did not just spin the goat hair, but this took exceptional talent. They made this hair into the yarn and they did it while it was still attached to the goat's body. Yet, these gifted women the gifted women it's not going to work. Just look at the ceilings. These gifted women, says Rashi, were doing it while the, while the wool was still attached to the animal. They wanted this donation to be of the highest quality. Therefore, they did it on the goat itself. When the fibers are still the most pliable... And of course this makes a better yarn. And then they donated this to the Mishkan. This for us is a very important lesson. They recognized their unique ability to do such a kunst, to do such a magnificent job. They knew they had this gift and they wanted to use, utilize this gift to fill the construction of the Mishkan. They did this with their special, they used their special talent. As we spoke before, <coughs> the reason the people worked, thrived, to see to it, to make sure that the Mishkan had what it needed, and to bring what the Mishkan needed, was they wanted the Almighty to have a home, a resting place on this world. Which is the mission of each and every person today. And therefore a person needs to see to it that they take their exceptional talents and they devote them and they put their extraordinary talents and abilities and contributed towards holy causes. And each person needs to seek out what is their special cause. And again, looking at the women this week, it's obviously the temple, as was the redemption, which was all in the honor of the women. (coughs) We find another vessel of the Mishkan, the kir, the wash basin. He 
He made the copper wash basins and the copper base from the mirrors of the legions of women. The women had these copper mirrors, says the Torah. You froze or someone, she froze, I'm not sure what happened here. Can you bring me a tum? One tum. For those keeping score at home, the Gemara Yevamis Memtesam and Days, 49 side B. And the Gemara says, Mesha was different to all other prophets. Doesn't stand, I have to sit and hold it up. Thank you. I should look at my belly. Ugh. Moshe was different than all other prophets. Not Almost. Whoa. The visions, the way the prophets visualized the Almighty. And the way Moshe Rabbeinu visualized and connected to the Almighty. All the prophets, time and history, was as if they looked through a dim glass and they saw godliness. Moshe in turn looked through illuminated glass. Like a telescope. And with a telescope one can see great distance. The rest of the prophets, their perception of divinity was through dim glass. A coated glass that expands the range of view and it gives you different angles, etc., is not directly visible. Like a mirror. (coughs) (coughs) Both these instruments bring something that you can't see ordinarily into view. They They give you the capacity to see something that one doesn't ordinarily see. A telescope, however, a telescope, a person sees distant objects themselves. Through a mirror, a person only sees reflections. So the other prophets only saw reflections of divinity. Whereas Moshe saw the Almighty Himself straight. This explains this explains what the Medish is talking about here. These personal mirrors brought by the woman as a contribution to the Mishkan 
Moshe Rabbeinu was repulsed by them. What happened here, says Rashi? The women would take their mirrors, and after the husband toiled and was tortured in the field for a day, throughout a day's work, the women would take the mirror, they would make themselves up as pretty as they could, they would go out to the fields and show the husband, look how you look and look how I look, and thereby getting the husband to come to them, and thereby bringing about future generations. This produced the legions that they gave birth to in Egypt. So by Moshe Rabbeinu, the women's mirrors epitomized perceiving God through His reflection and shadows. Which ultimately is at odds with the holiness. But still in all, the Almighty said, no, you need to accept this. I want this accepted. Even in areas where the Almighty is out of sight, something which seemed to be so coarse as these mirrors that were used for such an action, says the Almighty, no, that's not the goal. I want to take even the lowest elements of this world and thereby make my holy vessels and my holy temple. This act that the Jewish women did was so precious to God. Moshe didn't understand it. And therefore the Almighty Himself needs to tell Moshe how great the act of the Jewish women is. And so we see the two very instrumental things that the women, the Jewish women have. And that the Jewish women's talents and the Jewish women, the mother, the Akeres Habayis, the responsibility they carry, the mission they have in this world to fulfill the Almighty's wishes, to fulfill the Almighty's mission, to continue our generation, to continue the Jewish nation. And we see similarly the beginning of Chumash Shemais and the end of Chumash Shemais, which we have spoken about before <coughs> when we spoke in Pash Pekudei, the Chazak of Pekudei. We need to connect the end of the Chumash with the beginning of the Chumash. The beginning of Chumash Shemais tells us a story The Jews come down to Egypt. Yaakov and his sons are in Egypt. It talks about the birth of Meshe Rabbeinu, but we see the most extreme happening in this Pasha is the beginning of the redemption. What is the beginning of the redemption? Batya Baspara goes down to convert. She goes down to go to Mikveh in the river, in the Nilus. 
with, with intention to convert to Judaism. And there she sees Meisha Rabbeinu floating baby Meisha in his little cradle. And she says, I must save this child. But the child was out of her reach. But she said, I've got to save the child. And she reached out to take the child. And the Medrash tells us that her arms stretched, says Rashi. And she pulled that child in. It was unimaginable. Standing at the waterfront, the child at such a distance, and she just leaned over to reach to get the child. Why? How? Where? Because she sent a message and a precedence that nothing stands in the way of somebody's will when a person wants to do something, they can accomplish it. In America they say, where there's a will, there's a relative. (laughs) But here the Tater tells us, where there's a will, there's a way. And therefore the Tater teaches us in the beginning of Shemais how this person puts her hand to it and accomplishes and now at the end of Chumash the walls of the Mishkan were assembled, but they were flat on the ground, they were beams, extremely heavy beams attached one to the other. Someone needed to stand these things up, and it was not possible, they did not have cranes. Somebody just said, what should I do, how do I get this to stand up? And the Almighty says, put your hand to it. Show that you want to stand it up. And he does, and the walls stood up by themselves. And again, says the Tater, therefore, the message, sends us the message of put your hand to it, and you will accomplish what you need to accomplish. Amen. And that is the beginning of Shemais and the end of Shemais, intertwined one with another, teaching us how put yourself out and you will accomplish. A famous story with a chassid of the Baal Shem Tev, which I have told already also. And I'm going to get emails from people listening to the archives. Rabbi, you told us the story already. But it's a beautiful, beautiful story. It was a chassid of the Baal Shem Tev that decided that the Baal Shem Tev is nothing, there's no one like the Baal Shem Tev. The holiness that he gets at being at the Baal Shem Tev's table, in the four cubits of the Baal Shem Tev's presence, is incomparable to anything in the world. The prayers, the learning, the studying of Torah is so, so, so special. But he had this Yetzirah, this yearning to become an astronomer, a sorcerer. He wanted to dabble in the other worlds. This would be his last Shabbos with the Baal He would spend this one last Shabbos and Sunday morning he was going to leave. He arranged already where he was going to go to study this. He was off to go. Friday night, Chassidim was sitting by the table in their Shtaraimlach, in their Bekishes, in their full garb. And the Chassid began to feel an enormous heat there was a raging winter storm outside. The meteorologists expected 15 to 20 feet, which is about 9 inches in New, York, in New York Standard Time, New York Standard Height. And this chassid was sitting there, 
and he was perspiring. He was so hot. He took off his tribal and he tried to fan himself. He tried to wipe his face. It wasn't helping. He opened his buttons on his shirt. It just was not going. He took off his bekesha. He he he, was, he couldn't breathe in front of the Balshemtov. And finally he said, Rebbe, I need to go out. He ran out. He was running out the door. And the Balshemtov said, But be careful, not more than two minutes because it's freezing. You'll catch, I don't know what out there. And he ran outside. And it just wasn't helping. The freezing winds were blasting in his face. The snow was swirling around him. It wasn't cooling him down. He threw himself in the snow. It wasn't working. He just started to run like a madman from the heat. He was going, he was exploding. And he ran and he ran, he ran into the forest and finally he collapsed. When he awoke, he found himself with a farmer and his wife. And he had no recollection of anything that happened or who he was. And this farmer had a little farm, a little piece of land. And they asked him, who are you? And he said, I don't know. So they gave him a name, Vladimir. And he said, you live here, you'll help us. Not so after a few days, why? It's a nice Polish name. Yeah, but they don't help. No. <laughs> Polish, the Polish. And he started to work. And he started to be very successful. And he turned this little piece of land, he bought another piece and another and another and another. And he turned this into a major mansion, major estate. A short while later, like an hour, a year or so, there was positions in the Tsar's army opening up. And the farmer comes to him and he says to him, Vladimir, you did a wonderful work. You're a you're a good man. Why don't you go to the army? And he said, good. And he joined the army and he rose rank to rank and he became a general. After two years, he was a general of the the uh, cavalry. And this went on for 12 years, conquering and battles and wars and victories. And it was amazing what this man was able to accomplish. And one day he reminded himself of the town of Mezhebush. And he decided he's going to conquer Mezhebush. And he saddled up 10,000 soldiers. And they all saddled up with their, all their shining armors, with their torches, and they came to the, to the outskirts, to the forest of Mezhebush. And they all stood in the forest and had, waiting for the commander to say, and he told them, light your torches. And they all lit, unanimously united, they lit their torches, and the whole forest was on as daylight. They all drew their swords, and as you heard them draw their swords, the clink of the swords was like a thunder. And General Vladimir walked himself to the door of the Bashemtov, and he started to bang on the door. And he heard talking inside, but nobody's opening. And he banged harder, do you know who this is? Open in the name of the Tsar, I'll teach you a lesson. And after a few minutes of banging and banging, the Baal Shem Tov opened the door and says, Mordechai, what are you doing out there? You're still outside? It must be five minutes already. I told you not more than two minutes. He says, what Mordechai, Vladimir? I'm a powerful general. And he turned around in the Shtokin army and there's no horse, no horse, no nothing. He's standing there still in his shirt sleeves and his tzitzis 
and he's a little frostbitten. The Vashenta pulls him inside and he sits him down and he puts back on his Bekesh and he puts back on his Shtaimel. And he realized where the power of sorcery, where the powers really, really are, where they really reach. And he said, I don't need to leave or go anywhere. It's all here by the Vashem HaKadosh. This Shabbos Pashas Pada we said, and I don't know how much we're going to talk about Vikolech Paraduma, taking the Paraduma, the midst of the Paraduma, the, the main one thing I'd like to always talk about with the Paraduma is how this red red heifer was red heifer was taken and was slaughtered and was mixed the blood with water and was sprayed on the people that were impure from coming in contact with dead people. And they became purified. They became clean. But the person spraying it became impure. Until that night. So this Kohen was prepared to sacrifice himself and to become impure to help out a fellow Jew. This is the lesson of Paraduma. The self-sacrifice the abnegation one needs to have to help a fellow Jew. The Shulchan Aruch tells us 30 days before the holiday we need to start discussing the laws of the holiday. I know by women you're not allowed to say the P word. Pesach. It sends them into a frenzy. But, unfortunately, it's an inevitability, and it's around the corner. So we're going to discuss a few different laws. An interesting law that's discussed, that's talked about, and so many people have so many different customs about it, is soaking their matzahs. Wet matzah. Lechat to begin with, one should not have wet matzahs. And if someone does, they're not yates in the mitzvah of matzah. They did not fulfill their din of matzah. Takes away a little bit of the taste. But if it didn't totally disintegrate, there are those that perhaps would say, you could still perhaps do it. Elderly and sick people Toothless people, people that find it hard to eat something so hard and dry, may soak their matzah a little bit in water so that they can work and survive getting through the kezayas. Of course, a mess lasts 24 hours, it should not be soaking. Because then it's like something that was soaked and it's not even a mitzi anymore. If it's less than a size of an olive, it definitely is worthless. Anyone that is careful and does not eat matzah shriya, soaked matzah, wet matzah, or matzah that's put into the blessing, many blessings come upon them. And this is obviously only talking about water itself. Fruit juices, soup, 
you can't soak the matzah at all in. It's not considered a kezayis. Again, we turn to the elderly and to the ill that need it done in juices rather than in water, then for them we can perhaps find room in our hearts to allow it. A person that cannot bite into, cannot um, digest matzah, may crumble it, make matzah meal into water and drink it that way. Um, shouldn't cook matzah. I've heard of people that take the matzah, they put it in their oven before the Seder to give it back its fresh crunch. Yeah. I've heard people that do it, what should I tell you? Um, not recommended. Many chassidim have a stringency and they don't let their matzah be revealed even. They don't let their matzah come into contact with anything. Even on the table, they don't let it get wet. But there's no crumbs on the table either. They eat out of a bag. Or they eat on the, eat over a tablecloth that gets removed and there's no matzah that comes in contact with the table thereafter. And therefore, any bottles or jars or pitchers should all be wiped down beforehand, not to be wet. If a person froze matzah, and they defrosted it, they need to eat it right away, not to wait until they become soggy. If children, small children, need to eat matzah shliya, they need to eat anything, any kind of uh, uh, like cereals or things like that that they need to have. This has to be done in separate kalim, separate vessels in the house, and they should be kept on the side throughout Passover. It should be washed in a different sink, etc., not going to go into the denim of kidneys because there are many and there are many people that don't hold from that anymore unfortunately uh, we don't eat dried fruits on Passover because they can very possibly the process is usually done that way that it's the hummus digger things There's all different spices that some do use, some don't use. Uh, the mini chabad, everything has to be peeled, so therefore, <coughs> um, if you don't peel it, you don't use it. So 
so we, we don't use lettuce except for the romaine lettuce for the seder. This is a custom that most people have that they buy everything before Pesach. Put it into freezers, whatever it is. We don't buy it in Pesach unless you really have an emergency, you run out. Um, sugar sometimes runs into a problem in the olden days sugar cubes actually were a big problem they always had something in them they always found something in them so what people would do is they will take the sugar and boil it before Pesach and they would use liquid sugar many people don't use any oils on Pesach and they'll take therefore schmaltz chicken fat and they'll dissolve that and use that it happens to be very very good it's a heart attack at making and I'm sure the pita people wouldn't be happy either anyone that has cost, that has traditions restrictions stringencies of a Passover one should not mock one should not laugh about them one should accept them and one should Praise anyone that does them. It doesn't mean you have to follow suit. It doesn't mean you're less of a person. You're less of a, a from Jew. If you don't keep everybody's stringencies, every mishigas that everybody has. But the main thing is that this year, Pesach, we should be in Yerushalayim, in Akedish, and we should be Necham and Azvachim and Apsachim. We should eat on Harabayis, the carbon Pesach. And we should have a beautiful, beautiful Shabbos. And even this Shabbos ready to be in Yerushalayim and HaKadosh. We are going to bench Eshkadosh Nisan. And Nisan Degalu and Nisan Asidon Goel. At this point we'd like to wish you all Shabbat Shalom to all.